Blog Talk Radio.
coming king People walking around with their fingers in their ears singing da 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 I don't want to hear the sound of the coming king But he said, he said, well I have held my peace for a long, 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 long time And in my silence you thought that I was all together like you And in your heart Okay, everybody, welcome to our Thursday night broadcast of Prayer International Radio. Our call-in number, as always, 619-638-8458. If you need prayer, please give us a call. You can also email us at prayerinternational at gmail.com. So tomorrow is um, Good Friday, and um, the Lord willing, we're going to, maybe not tonight, um, at least starting tomorrow, we're going to start um, getting into Passover and what it really means, um, which is it's interesting. Um, I'll tell you a story really quickly is that I um, 
was driving out. Um, I had an appointment to go to this afternoon, and it's like an hour away. Um, and on the way there, I was flipping through the radio, um, trying to find something to listen to. And I happened to run across a Catholic radio station. Um, and there was a guy on, um, I guess he wrote a book about the Passover and what it really means. And, you know, it was it was fascinating listening um, to some of the things that um, he said and with the scriptures that he put along with them. Um, and some of it I already knew, but the, the complexity of what Jesus did in regards to salvation and the Passover. Um, it's really unbelievable. He And there's a lot of things that he pointed out that I, I had actually never thought of before. And so hopefully um, over the next um, couple days between now and Sunday, um, we can start um, laying some of the groundwork for the Passover and what it really means. Um, because you'll find... If you search the scriptures, if you go through the Bible, um, a lot of the things in the Old Testament, um, the Old Covenant, were shadows of things yet to come. And all the way from the Garden of Eden um, until um, the time of Jesus, there was a lot of things, um, people that were foreshadowing, um, symbols, I mean, even people who were in some ways could be considered symbols of things that were to come um, to um, demonstrate the grace of the Lord and the plan and purpose of God. Um, Being fully convinced that the Lord God had planned salvation from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. Um, We know Jesus um, slain from the foundation of the world because it was the purpose for which he had come which is what Jesus said. He said, for this reason, I've come forth. And so we're going to go through the Passover um, that night, and we'll get into um, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant sacrifices um, that happen once a year. Um, and, and it's important to, to when you study the Scripture to know um, it really is for, for every Christian, every believer of the Lord Jesus to actually um, understand um, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish um, practices, because it will open your eyes, um, illuminate, and give you revelation into the deep workings of what the Lord Jesus actually did and why some things were done, why certain things were said. Um, and which, with with any book, um, any history book, um, and the Bible being um, one of the most the most important book about history um, because it reveals um, God's dealings with his people. It's important to understand the times um, that the writers lived in all the way from the Old Testament and Moses um, through the disciples because even words that were spoken, um, phrases that were used in scripture, um, we can read them and get a basic understanding of what they mean, but to get sometimes to get a really true comprehension of the magnitude of what's said at times, you have to understand the um, the culture of the time, the way they thought, the things that they understood, the things that they believed. Um, to give you a brief example, um, Moses, or um, 
came across the burning bush and he said and God called Moses and Moses said, Well, who when they asked me who's sending me, what do I tell them? And um God spoke to Moses in the burning bush and said, Tell them that I am that I am sent you and the only other time that from what I know that the phrase was used in the Bible was when Jesus said it, when um, the Pharisees were asking who he was, and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And he used the exact same terminology. Well, if you didn't understand the Jewish tradition, if you didn't understand um, the language, then it seems like Jesus just said something and refer, and you may know that he referred to another scripture. But to the Jewish people, when Jesus said that, he was literally proclaiming himself to be God, for they they um, fully understood the ramifications of the words that he was using when he said um, before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming himself to not be mortal, to not be temporal, um, to not have a beginning and end, that he existed since the beginning, um, literally claiming that he is one and the very God who spoke to Moses with a burning bush. Um, and for those um, Pharisees and religious rulers of the time um, who believed, who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, it's very understandable from their point of view why they would want to take up stones and throw him. And, I mean, stones and, uh, or take up stones and then stone Jesus um, because he was saying things they couldn't understand. Because they didn't have the revelation of the Holy Spirit to give them discernment into the things of the Spirit. And so when Jesus said something and made reference to his Father and made reference to the kingdom of God and made reference to things that were previously spoken, they couldn't comprehend them. And even today, I think there's a lot of things um, that I'm still learning. And um, we will be learning pretty much until we meet him. Um that um, there's still things I'm finding out about it. Um, so I want to just touch on some of them. I'm gonna since I, I'm gonna try to do this over the next um, between now and Sunday, um, getting more into the crucifixion itself on Sunday. Um, and I want to lead, if if you will, for the next um, couple nights. I want to lead you from the beginning um, through the crucifixion and the resurrection and sort of paint a picture of it for you of the different parallels and why things had to be done the way they were done. And so, and, um, and I'm going to try to pull in um, a lot of the Jewish tradition so some of it makes sense. Um, now, tonight and tomorrow, um, um, the Lord willing, me and Chris are going to be breaking up the broadcast. I'll handle the first hour from 10 to 11 tonight and tomorrow, and then Chris will handle from 11 to midnight. And then um, Saturday and Sunday, we'll do our normal services, and um, we'll see what the Lord does. So, once again, our call-in number is 619-638-8458. If you need prayer for anything over the course of the next two hours, please, please feel free to give us a call. Um, so if we start um, with the history of the Israelites, um, we go through Moses and, I mean, not Moses, we go through Abraham and everything that happened in Genesis, um, the Lord um, calling Abraham out to become the father of many nations, um, to Abraham being considered righteous 
from the Lord, not through his own works, but through um, faith in the Lord. As the scripture declares, the judge shall walk by faith. Um, before the law was given in Exodus, Abraham had already been considered, been considered righteous by the Lord through his faith. Um, uh, sort of foreshadowing of the righteousness we would attain through faith in Christ Jesus before the law actually came. And, you know, Moses was justified, apart, was justified and considered righteous apart from the law. And one of the first couple foreshadowings that happened, um, the very first one um, happened in the Garden of Eden, but that's we'll get into that another time. So, um, so we're going to start, I believe, in um, Exodus chapter 3. And, you know, um, Moses had um, seen the things that were happening to the children of Israel. And himself, he had been delivered um, by the Lord um, from certain death, and which he may not have ever known. Um, but... Moses um, tried to flee, like Jonah, from the calling of the Lord, and it came to, and it came to pass in those days. Um, this is verse eleven of chapter two. When Moses was thrown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, it, it's it's funny how Moses's life represents the basic Christian life in some sense. Um, for some of us is that you know Moses had a calling on his life, like the scripture declared of Jeremiah when God told Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And in Ephesians um chapter two, I believe verse ten, it says, For where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk on walk in them. And all of us, um, believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us who trust him as our Lord and our Savior, and even those who haven't, the Lord has a plan and a purpose for our life. He's um, set in motion um, a plan that he's already um, predetermined for us, which we know according to Scripture, he said, I know the thoughts I think for you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And um, so Moses um, has his calling. He may not know the extent of it, and um, he has a desire and the compassion to um, help the fellow Israelites, And um, but he goes about it the wrong way, kills an Egyptian, and then runs away. Um, but, you know, the Lord never called the perfect. He never called the righteous. He called those who were sinners, Um in Corinthians later on, I believe it's Corinthians, it says, you know, God chooses, chooses the weak things of the world to bring the shame to the wise, um, or bring the shame to the strong, and the foolish things to bring to shame those that are wise. And so, anyway, so he's running away, and then he gets into the um, wilderness, and sort of like, um, Abraham, I mean, not Abraham, sorry, sort of like Jonah, who tried to run away from the calling of the Lord, um, and he got swallowed by a whale. Something happened to stop him in his track to make him turn back to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'll do whatever you say. And 
Moses in the same way as um, tending the flock of Jethro. This is Exodus chapter 3. And it says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now his very calling, I mean, the very thing he was doing um, was being a shepherd to sheep, something he would soon take in full stride, um, something that God would magnify, and that he wouldn't just be doing his own sheep, but he would be taking care of God's sheep. Um, sort of like when Jesus walked up to the disciples and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men instead of just fishermen. And in verse 2 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was not was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Now you'll notice that Moses didn't seek out the Lord, but the Lord sought out Moses in this um, instance, the same way he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the same way he's doing today with all of us. And then God said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Um, why it was a holy, holy, because the presence of the Lord was there. Verse 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, taskmasters for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from a land, from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And it goes on and goes on. And um, we all know the story um, um, that um, about the plagues. Um, the Lord told um, Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses said no, and then no, and then no, and then no. And it wasn't until the death of the firstborn that um, the Pharaoh um, repented and let the children of Israel leave. Um, and um, so we're going to go, we're going to skip a lot of that and um, Though even the plagues themselves um, were symbolic, even the the death of the firstborn um, child symbolic. Um, but that's pretty much what we're going to get into. Um, is this is let me see first and Pharaoh skipping, skipping, skipping. Um, there's the water becomes blood, the plagues. This and so there's all these plagues that happen. Um, Sort of um, symbolic of the um, of the plagues and the judgments and the trumpets that will be released in um, the end times during the tribulation. Um, even the ninth plague, which was darkness, and so if you we skip all the way to Exodus chapter eleven, it begins the um, 
the last plague in the beginning of the making for Passover. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all of the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall it be like it again. But again, but against none of, its, of the children of Israel saw a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does not make a difference between Egyptians and Israel. And all of your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before the Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all of the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him take his neighbors next to his house, Take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you should keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw or boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it till morning shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover." For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the first thing I wanted to point out here um, is that we we always hear about the um 
when it, when people teach about the Passover, we always hear about the um, the blood on the doorpost, um, symbolizing because um, the Bible says without um, the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, and the blood sacrifice of a um, pure and spotless animal, um, as in the um, Garden of Eden. If you step back into the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve tried to make their own covering after they had sinned, which wasn't good enough because they used fig leaves. Um, but the work of a man's hand can never remove sin. And so the Lord had to, for the in the beginning, bring forth his own sacrifice um, to kill an animal, make the animal skins, and to cover them. Because, as I said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so we're used to we're used to understanding um, the blood sacrifice, to understanding um, the principle of having someone or something um, take the punishment for your sins and be a substitute for your sins. And so the Lord has them um, put the blood of the animal on the doorpost. So when he passes by, he sees the blood of a pure and spotless creature and passes over it. Um, which they had to do because um, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, everyone. Um, so had they not done that part, then the um, angel of the Lord um, would have still brought death to their firstborn. Now, the interesting part of the, this um, passage is it also says, and they shall eat of the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. And so not only... Did they have to have the blood? Did they actually have to have the blood um, sacrifice um, for the covering of sin? They also had to partake of it. Um, now, if you flash forward to Jesus, who stood and say, um, "Take, eat. This is my body. Um, take, drink. This is my blood." He said, "Whoever eats my blood and drinks my, I mean, eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live forever." And in the same manner, salvation does not come just by having the covering, but also by having the relationship, also by having the fellowship. As Jesus declared that many will come saying, um, Lord, Lord, um, did we not do this, this, and this, and this? And he'll say, depart me, for I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. And so not only is salvation based upon, um, well, our salvation is based upon the blood. But then the commandment is also to partake of the flesh of the Lord Jesus um, in communion and being one with him. And so we're going to go through and um, and so we're going to um, and so the, the children of Israel um, got spared, and um, the um, firstborn of the Egyptians were um, killed that night. Um, and afterwards, Pharaoh let them go. So um, here's here's a couple of things that are interesting for you. Um, When you do a um, Seder feast, um, which um, which is a, the Jewish um, celebration for Passover, um, in the old nowadays um, it can be done whenever um, it can be done, and pretty much and it is done 
pretty much in any location, but back in those days, in the times of Jesus, um, it can only be done in um, Jerusalem, which is why Jesus said, um, he told his disciples to go in and prepare the place for the, so they, that they could have Passover, because they couldn't just have it anywhere according to tradition. And so one interesting thing about the um, the Passover, which I didn't even know about until today, is well, a couple of things. Number one, the animals. The way there was a um, the Jewish, um, the Israeli tra Jewish tradition. There's a lot of specific rituals and um, acts that have to be done in particular order, in particular fashion, and um, one of them involves the animal. Because what they would do is they wouldn't just take an animal and kill it, and that would be it. What they would actually do, if you study history, is they would actually take the animal, and they would take a um, like a skewer, and it, you know it's a horrible thought. Um, and today's society to think about animals being killed or even sacrifices, but it's important to understand when she, when it says that Jesus was a sacrificial lamb, um, the lamb without spot or blemish, slain from the foundation of the world. And knowing that it's related to what actually happened in the Passover feast leading up to the Day of Atonement. And it's that, not the Day of Atonement, but his resurrection, his crucifixion and resurrection, is that the um, they would take a skewer and they would skewer the animal from the top of his head all the way down. And then they would take another one and skewer it um, horizontally through their breastplate. And so literally the animals back then that were sacrificed, um, for the sacrifice, they were actually skewered in almost the shape of a cross. Um, flash forward to Jesus, who is um, actually nailed to a cross um, in the same manner. Also, in the um, if you ever have a chance um, to go to a... Um, even a Messianic Jewish Seder festival, you understand that there's four cups, um, four different um, times that wine is is that they drink wine during the um, feast um, or the celebration slash ceremony, and you'll notice um, in the Passover dinner with Jesus, there's three different times that. Um, there was um, something that was said, and then they would take a drink and um, take ye. This is of my flesh. This is of my body. Um, this is my blood. And but then, right after the third one, he looked up and he said, "I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink with it in the coming of the kingdom." And something that I, I was pointed out was that. You know, Jesus knew the tradition of his people, and he knew that there was a fourth cup of wine that needed to be drunk. But he said, I will not drink of it until the coming of the kingdom in heaven. And so then they went out, and they um, and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he's only drinking three of the cups for the Passover, and then said, I can't drink the other one. And he said, I'm not going to until the coming of the kingdom. And But then, immediately after that, he goes to the garden of Gethsemane, um, prepared to um, face the, his accusers and start the process of being um, led away to be crucified. But what's interesting, in the prayer, he prays to the Lord. As he said, 
if this cup can be taken away, um, take it away from me. But if not, if, if, if your will can't be done except for I drink it, then let it be done. And I'm paraphrasing all that. Now, um, what was pointed out today is why would Jesus use the terminology if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it? Because his very life, his, the very ministry of Jesus, his life and his death was a symbolism of the Passover lamb. And the um, Feast of Passover, in a way. And so he was actually referring to that fourth cup that had yet to be drunk. But then when he got on the cross, um, one of the, we were talking about history, um, one of the, another interesting thing about um, Jewish tradition is that all criminals who were sentenced to die were always given a final drink of wine. And much like in today's times, um, and at least in the Americas, um, prisoners who are sentenced to death for whatever crime they have are always given a last meal. Well, in the same way in the Jewish tradition, um, there would have been wine at the crucifixion of Jesus because it was customary to give someone sentenced to die a, a last drink of wine. And so even though Jesus left the, the, the Passover feast, um, without drinking the fourth glass of wine um, and the um, um, Passover Seder, um, I guess, ritual, as you want to call it, for the um, Passover, he goes to the garden of Gethsemane and says, um, Father, if you can take this cup away from me, take it. If not, unless I drink it, you will be done. Then he gets on the cross and he said, I thirst, which for everybody else around would think, okay, well, he's just thirsty. But if you knew the tradition of the Jewish people, you would understand that it was pretty much him asking for that last drink of wine. And then he drank it. And immediately after he drank it, he said, it is finished. Why did he say finished? Because all the work um, had been done. Um, he had done what his father sent him to do, and he had finished that last drink, and that became the last drink um, as part of the Passover feast, symbolizing the work was actually finished. So there's a brief, brief... Um, Synapsis, I guess if that's the right word Of Passover and Jesus And we're going to get into a lot more detail on that But before we do that We're going to go into worship for just a minute Our call in number 619-638-8458 If you need prayer for anything um, Please give us a call We have a chat room open at um, Blogtalkradio.com Forward slash prayer international you can get in there. We have um, a lot of our prayer warriors and friends um, who are in there right now. So we will be back in just a few minutes.
Hey everybody, welcome back to Prayer International Radio. Our call in number is 619-638-8458. If you need prayer for something, give us a call. Um, so, Father God, um, Lord, we sanctify the um, this entire show to you, Lord. We sanctify and, Lord, we lay everything down before your feet, Holy Spirit, that you could work and you can move in the lives and the hearts of everyone who's listening tonight, Lord. That the words that are spoken, Father, that um, do not come from you will fall to the ground, Lord, but we know that your words will prosper as you have declared that the words that come forth from your mouth will not return to you void. So, Holy Spirit, tonight give all the listeners a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Father. Lord, we lift up the um, nation of Israel, Father. We lift up Jerusalem, Lord, asking that you would make it a blessing into the earth. Father, that as the enemies are beginning to be camped around Jerusalem, Father, we know that you have said that um, it's just a um, reminder that the times are near. Lord, but in all things we trust in you, Father, not um, not fearful of the enemies, Lord, not fearful of the um, spirits of this world, Father, for we know that we are not fighting a physical battle, we're not fighting against armies and um, leaders and rulers, Lord, but your word declares that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Lord, but against principalities and powers. In rulers of the darkness of this age, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, today we strive to walk in the Spirit as your word um, declares in Romans chapter 8, that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us as your um, word declared that you are a shepherd. Jesus, you said that your sheep would hear your voice and the voice of a stranger they would not follow. So, Father, for all those out there tonight, Lord, um, God, we ask that you would reveal yourself to them, to be the um, Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus, reveal to them who you are. Holy Spirit, reveal to us, Jesus, as the men who walked up to the disciples said, Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. Lord, when everything is said and done, um, we don't seek after, Lord, your hand. But, Father, we seek after your heart, Lord. Seeking after your righteousness, Father. Seeking after your presence, Lord. Knowing that all things are added afterwards, Father. Knowing that the only thing we need is you. Because your word declares that you are our exceeding great reward.
questions to you guys. Uh, we're actually going to be splitting the show up the next few nights and each taking probably an hour of it. So just want to thank everybody in the chat room. Um, thank everybody that's listening tonight. Just want to thank you for your support and your prayers and just the fact that you're sticking with us and lifting us up and standing with us to believe for the will of God to be done and the kingdom of God to come in our lives. So, if uh, you're just tuning in with us again, this is Prayer International Radio. Our call-in number is 619-638-8458. You can also check out our website, which is www.prayerinternational.org. And we are actually posting some video uploads devotionals, different things for you to just grow in the things of God, and we'll be adding to that this year, uh, trying to get a little more consistent with some of that, and just ask you guys to pray as the Lord leads us in a new direction um, with some of that, too. Also, if you need to email us or contact us, you can email us at prayer at prayerinternational.org. We've got that information up in our chat room if you need to get to it. So let's open up in a word of prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to bless the second half of the broadcast. Again, we want to just speak a blessing over everyone that's in the chat room tonight. I want to thank uh, Wendy and the fact we've got Dorothy Lee, our brother Reno from Australia. Looks like we've got God's remnant in there. I know we had Pastor Rob on for a little bit. And uh, Lost Expedix, some more, a couple of guests. And, uh, of course, Sean's in there some. So, hey, we just want to bless you guys and just want to thank you. So, Father, I pray for our spiritual family tonight, Lord, our brothers and sisters that have joined with us. Father, you said when two or more are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you inhabit the praise of your people. So, Father, when we get together and we decide when we choose not to forsake the assembling, Father, you are pleased and you are honored, you're glorified in that. So, Father, we pray that you would be the one that's honored tonight. We pray, Holy Spirit, just dwell in our midst and have your way on the program tonight. And, of course, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you for everything that you gave as we recognize that this Easter Passover and this Easter Resurrection Sunday. We honor that on Good Friday, which if you're on the East Coast, you're already into Good Friday. And for those of you that are Central Time or on the West Coast, it's coming up. Father, we just thank you for your goodness tonight. Jesus, just have your way in us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven tonight. We pray daily bread that you'd help us to have the right attitude towards people, that you'd help us to walk in forgiveness, to walk in love, speak the truth in love. Father, that you'd help us, Lord God, to obey your every command, to obey your words. We just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I want to just get into a little bit of the word tonight. And I know Sean's going to continue in his... Uh, teaching a little bit with uh, the Passover stuff, so I don't I don't really want to go there. Um, you know, I'm gonna kind of let him take care of that. I think he wants to 
share what's in his heart concerning that stuff the, the next few days. So, But, you know, we've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about spiritual warfare. We've been talking about recognizing our enemy. We've been talking about, you know, weapons of our warfare. We've talked about the enemy's tactics, the spiritual battle that we're in. You know, the Father has given us prayers that can outwit the enemy. You know, too many Christians feel downtrodden and defeated by the enemy's minions, sometimes before the battle has ever begun. A lot of times we just stand passively on the sidelines and we let the enemy run completely amok. And so, you know, we want to pray that we can do a a abrupt about face, you know, just turn and do a 180 and that not only ourselves, but the body of Christ will learn how to outwit the enemy of their souls. You know, the timidity, the hesitation needs to stop. The Bible says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us power, he's given us love, he's given us a sound mind. You know, Scripture says that we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And we need to learn how to pray with power, how to pray with authority, how we can offer prayers of submission, how we confront how we can confront our enemy through the word of God, how we can walk in faith and walk in wisdom. As a result, we'll get breakthrough. And at some point, we can stop the enemy in his tracks. You know, we talked about putting on the full armor of God and arming ourselves with the Word of God. And so, you know, I may recap some of that. But, you know, one thing that was brought to my attention is that a lot of times the enemy does his best to put us in a spiritual checkmate. If you guys are familiar with the game of Jeff, uh, Metaphorically speaking, you know, um, the enemy tries to put us in a checkmate. And in a chess match, when there's a checkmate going on, it basically says you got to watch out. You're, you're almost defeated. Okay, but it's not quite... Um, you know, when you put somebody in check, rather, before the checkmate, sorry, I said that backwards, but when you put somebody in check, Right before the checkmate, you're checking them. You're letting them know that you're about to take them down. And, of course, the winning move is to put your opponent in a checkmate and render him powerless, keep him from moving on the other side of the board and, and doing what he can do. But, you know, many times we can learn a lot from games. You know, some games are inspired by God to teach us about spiritual uh, dynamic, I guess. I would say chess fits into that category. I want to kind of give a simple illustration, and then we're going to apply it to the Word of God and, and apply that to our lives. But basically, chess is like a game of war, okay? You control one army, and your opponent controls the other. And basically, the fate of your army depends entirely on your own skill. Okay, most games rely on chance. A move may be determined by a roll of a dice or the turn of a card. Okay, but in chess, it's not about luck. 
You're entirely responsible for your own success or your own failure. That's why, you know, in, in my uh, experience, chess has been one of the most satisfying games to me when you win, you know, because it, it's really dependent on your responsibility. You know, when you make a move on the chessboard, you've got to predict how your opponent's going to react. You've got to understand when you make a move what his next few moves might be as a result of it. And when you decide what to play or how to play, you've got to use reason. You've got to use memory. You've got to use logic and, and intuition and inspiration, so to speak. And I want to talk about intuition. I want to talk about inspiration, spiritually speaking. Okay, so... This is what I see when, when chess takes on a spiritual dimension, okay? And we're going to get into this now. But when we find ourselves engaged in a war with the enemy, God not only does he require us to yield our minds to his control, but he also gives us greater levels of spiritual intuition and inspiration. And I want to discuss both of these in greater detail um, we'll skim the surface a little bit tonight. We may get back into it. Some. It depends on where the Holy Spirit takes us. But well, I'll give you a brief uh, understanding of each aspect. Okay, so inside of every man and every woman, there's a function that we have called intuition. And the minute we're saved and our spirit is connected back with the Holy Spirit, we're connected back with our Maker, our Creator, our intuition becomes activated to a new dimension. It becomes a lot sharper. Okay, the Holy Spirit stimulates our intuition within us. Now, this intuition, it may include God-given wisdom, discernment, uh, spiritual knowledge, and other similar supernatural understanding of, you know, what our environment is. And our intuition, basically, it helps us understand. One thing it can do is help us understand the moves that our enemy is going to make against us, what he's likely to do next, and how we can make strategic moves to destroy his plans and, and bring us into victory. Okay, so intuition is going to play out a lot in how you overcome your enemy. You need to have the Holy Spirit guiding you and giving you ability giving you those strategic moves. Okay, so a lot of times when you think of the word intuition, realize that that's, that's kind of an added edge. It's, it's a sharpened ability or discernment or an understanding of what's going on around you. Okay, it may not be something that's known um, because of you know, natural knowledge. But intuition is an inner knowledge. But see, God doesn't want us to ignore those guidings, those thoughts, those feelings. You know, over the years, we've wanted to play that off as new age or super spiritual or whatever we want, but we need to realize this is how God created us. Okay, God created us with an intuition. He created us with a spirit. And when the Holy Spirit enacts and... and interacts with our spirit and we come spiritually alive at what we call the rebirth or salvation when we're born again. 
there's a reason God gives that to us. And one of those reasons is to help lead us and guide us. And especially when it comes to learning how to defeat our enemy. Now, the other thing I want to briefly discuss is inspiration. So we talked about intuition. Now, inspiration is is a different issue. Okay, the very core of our faith is an inspired or an, is inspiration inspired feeling. Okay, when we have a, a deep faith within our spirit, then we're inspired. When something moves you or motivates you to go forward in the spirit realm, it's it's an inspiration. And whenever you're inspired by the Lord, by the Word of God or by the Holy Spirit or by something that somebody speaks into your life, it's as if life is breathed upon or infused within you. Okay, this breath of life helps us in our guidance. It helps us be guided. It helps us be motivated to seek out communication with God. And we need this in order to bring divine influence into our lives. We need this in order to bring divine influence into our actions. You've got to have a motivation for your assignment. You've got to be inspired to go forward in the things of God. Otherwise, it's really easy to draw back. In order to stay on the on course for the long haul without getting weary, the Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing, but you'll reap a harvest if you faint not. In order to not grow weary, in order to not get weakened, you have to have an inspiration, a motivation by the Holy Spirit. God's got to birth and breathe and influence us on that level. Otherwise, we begin to draw back. And God says his soul takes no pleasure in him that draws back. But this inspiration refreshes us and renews Oh, hang on just a second. Let me get my keyboard here. Uh, my wife wants to say a few things in the chat room. So. Um, all right. Praise God. But in order to stay on course, you know, we need to have inspiration in our lives. And this inspiration will refresh us. And it will provide us with hope. It will renew us. And especially in those times when the enemy tries Okay, sorry about that. But especially when there's times when the enemy tries to come against us, he he tries to wrongly convince us that he wins or he condemns us or he starts to bring defeat. He starts to bring that discouragement, you know, those things that we talked about, but he uses those tactics he uses against us. We've got to have a motivation to keep going forward. You've got to have an inspiration on the inside of you that arises within you and lets you know that the king is winning in your life, that that God has called you to win, that you're an overcomer, that you're a conqueror. And we need to realize that. So I like to liken spiritual warfare kind of like a a chess match in in that respect. You know, just talk about, you know, how that works. Because you really have to have an inspiration. You have to have a motivation. You have to have 
that intuition in order to play that game. So those are two of the things you really need to pray about. You need to ask God, you know, in your walk, and as you're walking with the Lord, as you're taking on your enemy. You know, it's hard. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. You know, if we're going to get motivation for the things of God, we've got to have a hope. We've got to have a hope in it. The Bible says love believes all things, bears all things, and hopes all things. We've got to be motivated by the faith of God, motivated by the love of God in our lives to birth that inspiration. You know, just like you get excited to go do things in the natural, whatever they are, you know, if you're not excited about something, then whenever you have to take on a task, it can become very stressful or tedious. It can become a hard thing. But if it's something that you're motivated to do, something that you're encouraged to do or inspired to do, it makes it that much easier. And you know, warfare is never fun. Warfare is never uh, fun to take on. I'm sure in the natural or especially in the spiritual. You know, I've never been to war, so I can't speak for natural warfare. But spiritually speaking, I know that, you know, we're in a battle. And we've got an enemy that's throwing every curveball at us. He's shooting every flaming dart, every arrow. He's using every tactic and scheme to come against us. Now, the Bible says no weapon formed or fashioned against us will prosper or stand. And a lot of that is dependent on whether you're born again, whether you're washed in the blood, whether you're walking in the spirit. Because, see, we can walk in our carnality, we can walk in the flesh. And, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, the enemy takes a lot of people out because they're not following God, they're not obeying God. But you know, and some of you guys, I know I used the chess example. And for a lot of you, you may not even like yourself like uh, Brother Reno isn't too fond of chess. But you know, hey, for me, that's, that's one of the things I enjoy. I don't play enough of it, haven't played in a while. And we'll get back into that. You know, I may talk about that a little bit. But the bottom line is each one of us has different places to stand, different gifts, a different measure of faith, but we all have value. And in the game of chess, there's different roles that are played. You've got a king, you've got a queen, you've got a bishop, you've got a knight, you've got a rook, you've got pawns. And every piece on the chessboard has a different move, has a different function, has a different part. Some of them... uh, attack differently, some of them move differently, some of them are placed on the board to start differently. They all have a different function. 
we need to realize this that it, in God's kingdom, each one of us has a different place to stand. God may call you to stand in one geographic location, and God may cause someone else to stand in another. Each one of us has a different gift, a different talent, a different ability. And it may not look like the, the man or the woman or the brother or sister next to you or the brother or sister, you know, that's doing certain tasks. Everything's different. We all have a different measure of faith. But the bottom line is we all have value. And in order to carry out God's game plan for our lives, each piece is necessary. Each person is necessary. The Bible says we're one body and we all have different gifts different members, the eye and the ear and the mouth and the hand and the foot, and not one piece can say to the other, I have no need of you, because when you start cutting off parts of your body, all of a sudden you don't function properly. And so it's very important to have a balanced, balanced functioning body of Christ that each member, each gift, each body part does with their purpose to do. Praise God. Let me continue and use the analogy of chess game as we see where each one of us fits in the body of Christ. Okay, when playing the game of chess, you need to know each piece and its function. The value of each piece is based on its power on the board. Remembering these values will help you decide which piece to exchange and which piece to keep. But realize we all have value in the eyes of the Lord. Each one of us, each one of us has a different place to stand. You know, in Psalm 139, it says, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. Verse 13 and through 16 says, For you formed my inner parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, your eyes saw my substance. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing. 13 through 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your, in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. What am I trying to say? God has enough value or thought enough about you to make you. You had enough value in the eyes of God. You have enough value in the eyes of God for him to make you. We need to realize let me just give you this example, okay, just for a minute. And I'm, I'm going to stick in this analogy, but it may help paint a spiritual picture. But in chess, the queen has the ability to move like a bishop and a rook. It's one of the most powerful pieces on the board. When the queen is in the center of the board, that piece exercises extraordinary power. The influence stretches from one side of the board to the other. And whenever that piece is lost, the chances of winning are greatly reduced. 
Okay, you've got a rook. Some people call it a castle. Another piece. And at the beginning of the game, it can't utilize its full power because it's blocked in by other pieces, blocked in by the pawn. But once it, it gets opened up, it can move up and down, side to side. Very powerful piece. The bishop and the knight are important because they're very versatile pieces. The knight can actually move over other pieces. It can move unlike a bishop or a rook, which stays, you know, and moves uh, either side to side or vertical. But all these pieces are useful guides when you're making strategic decisions in a heated battle on the board game. Then you've got the pawn. And even though the pawn seems like the lowliest piece, it, it protects the other pieces. Times it's sacrificed so that you can have valuable positioning for future moves. Think about it. And if you know the game of chess, you'll understand what I'm talking about. What am I saying? Look, you were born with great potential. You might go through some hard times. that seem very sacrificial, just like that pawn. But once you cross over and make it to the other side, just like that pawn, when it gets to the other side, you can exchange it in for a more valuable piece. The fullness of your potential can be recognized when you make it to the other side. Now, the king's the most important piece on the chessboard. The whole game revolves around the struggle to trap the king. It's called a checkmate. If you lose the piece, you lose the game. So it's vital to keep the king as secure as possible. Listen, once you come into a covenant with a holy God and he inhabits our life, he dwells within us, our opponent, the devil, uses divine strategies to stop the king from being recognized and established within us. Think about it. Our enemy tries to keep us from recognizing and having the king established in our lives because he knows that's the most valuable thing in our lives is the king the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. Listen, if you if you lose that peace, if you lose God, if you don't have God in your life, if you don't have Christ in your life, you're going to lose the game. Listen, the enemy of our soul is always constantly threatening us, devising plans to trap us. Sometimes he may seem very superior. Sometimes it may seem like he's got a grip on us or he's uh, defeated us in certain areas. But listen, the God in us, the hope of glory, will always give us a way of escape. It's like when I mentioned the checking versus the checkmate. When you're checking in a, in a chess game, it occurs when the king is attacked by a piece. But the king can still escape. It's not always fatal. It might look fatal. It may cause you to panic. When your opponent thumps a piece down and cries check, 
It doesn't end the game. But when you're checking your opponent, it causes you to gain time. When you're checking, it can cause you to drive your enemy king to a weak square. And it makes it vulnerable for further attack. And listen, even though our adversary seems overwhelming at times, and he seems superior to us, he's just trying to gain time. He's just trying to make us get vulnerable for further attack. But we've got the Lord. We've got the King of Kings. We've got the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Many of us are thrown off whenever our enemy checks us. When the when the devil comes in and checks us and tries to weaken us in the things of God. But you've got to be willing to keep going. You've got to know that in reality you have a way to escape. Matthew twenty four thirteen says, He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. When your enemy checks you or he tries to convince you that the game is over, you need to remind him. The King of Kings has one more move. The King of Glory, Jesus, has one more move. And begin to go forward. And learn to outwit your enemy. And if you're going to checkmate your enemy, you got to learn to live in the revelation of the Lord. Listen, Satan's the father of lies. He's constantly working to keep us in darkness. He's constantly working to keep us deceived, believing his lies. We talked about this the other night a little bit, about how he deceives. Deceit is one of his tactics. Satan tries to blind our minds. In many different ways, he tries to convince us to have wrong thoughts about God. He tries to put prejudices and it causes us to build up walls that darken our understanding. He, he tries to infiltrate us with philosophies and vain deceit. He tries to create wrong belief systems inside of us. Put false reasoning in us so we can occupy our thoughts. When we get caught up with the things of the world, we talked about that the other night a little bit. He tries to overwhelm us with the cares and the pleasures of the world. We talked about that too. And he loves to mix lies with partial truths. This is how he makes lies believable. That's why we have to have revelation. That's why we need to know the truth. The Bible says you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. The word revelation means to manifest or make clear, to show forth, to unfold, to explain, to instruct, to admonish, to warn, or to give an answer to a question. When God speaks to us, he brings one or sometimes a handful of these aspects of revelation to us. And he does this so that the eyes of our mind, so that the eyes of our spirit will be enlightened to who he is, to who God is. Also, so that we recognize who our enemy is. 
but God, even throughout history, he's always disclosed himself to humanity. He's always revealed himself. He's never wavered in his desire. He's always wanted us to understand him, realize that God wants us to understand him. He's constantly revealing his power, revealing his glory, revealing his nature, revealing his character, revealing his will and his ways. He's constantly showing us his plans and his strategies to people all the time. And listen, you've got to get this by revelation. You've got to have the Holy Spirit revealing to you truth. This is more than just an over-glorified Bible study. Christianity is more than a Sunday school lesson or a sermon at church or a sermon on the radio and going through some tradition and religion and going through some formula of prayer. Listen, you've got to hear from God. You've got to get to know your Father in heaven. You've got to be familiar with who the Holy Spirit is in your life so he can lead you into truth. You know, revelation from God serves three different functions in our lives. Probably more than that, but I want to just cover three of them real quick. Revelation causes obscure things to become clear. Things that you don't know. Things you don't distinguish or recognize. Things that you don't have knowledge of or understand. That's what revelation does. Listen, Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things fenced in and hidden things that you do not know. He says, call unto me. Talk to me. I'll reveal some things to you. I'll make obscure things become clear. Things that you're not sure about. Things you never recognize. I'll make it clear to you. The word of the Lord is clear, giving insight to life, the Bible says. We've got to hear his voice. We've got to understand the scriptures. So revelation causes obscure things to become clear. Number two, revelation brings hidden things to light. Revelation brings hidden things to light. An important definition of revelation, if you look at the book of Revelation, is apocalypse. Now that word apocalypse means to unveil or reveal something that is hidden so that it may be seen and known for what it is. And we need to see and know things for what it is. Jesus said all things will be revealed, all things will be made manifest. All things that are hidden in darkness will be uncovered, revealed in the light. So revelation, when God reveals things to us by his spirit, when God reveals things to us by his truth, it brings hidden things to light. And sometimes we need to have an understanding and be able to see things for what they are. Now, when we're in tune and in step with the Holy Spirit, he gives us that revelation. Number three, revelation gives us signs that point us to our path of destiny. The Bible says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus said, we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, this is the rhema word and the logos. The, the logos meaning the written word of God. And the rhema word meaning a revealed, timely, now word. See, God is still speaking to his people today. 
Now, I know there's a lot of weird stuff out there that's ruining uh, that thought for a lot of people. There's a lot of men and women that are claiming a lot of things that they believe God is showing them or believe God is saying, and many of them are way off base. And so we need to guard our hearts. We need to have a discernment. Make sure everything that you hear is rooted in truth and is agreeing with the scripture. The Bible says don't add to or take away from his word. We need to be careful. But revelation, when the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us, when we get into the word of God and, and the light gets turned on, it gives us signs that point us to our path or destiny. We need revelation in order to know God's will for our lives. We need revelation as we come into agreement with his will. We need to know how to walk out his will. It's it's not a one-time deal. We need a fresh word from God on a continual basis to keep us moving forward, to keep us motivated, to keep us excited. And to go forward in the in the plan of God, to go forward in the timing of God, and to keep our minds from the enemy's deception. Look, let's let's look at the how. Okay, the, we we talked about revelation to help us understand why and what it does. But let's talk about how it happens. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. It says, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and powers of mind, far above dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Now let's look at that. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. He said, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So we know Christ was raised from the dead. He was seated at the right hand of God. He was seated in heavenly places. Listen to this. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. For Christ is over every name that is named. He's above all principalities, power, might, and dominion. In other words, he has authority over all those spiritual minions. He has authority over the angels. He has authority over the demons. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over every name that is named. Not only in this age, which means the age that we're in, but also in that which is to come, the Bible says. And the last sentence says, And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God wants his fullness to fill us. God wants his spirit to fill us. God wants us to make Christ our authority in our head. He wants us As his body, think, if we're his body and he's the head, whatever things are under Jesus' feet are under our feet. 
given us authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means will harm us. So look, this shows us, this passage shows us that Jesus is able to defeat all the enemy's structures. And the structures that are in our lives, if he's the head, if if we position ourselves as his body and, and him as the head, everything's under his feet. That means it's under our feet. And we need to begin to think like he thinks. That's why we have the word of God to renew our minds. We need to begin to put on the mind of Christ, Corinthians 2.16. Read 1 Corinthians 2.16. Put on the mind of Christ. See, the problem is, is that our minds are naturally at enmity with God because of our flesh. So we have to put on the mind of Christ. We need to think the way Jesus thinks. And when we do this, the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be activated in our lives. In order to do this, we have to believe that God's going to show us new revelation, show us fresh revelation. And you've got to be able to trust God in the way that he communicates to you. Sorry, you've got to be able to trust God in the way that he communicates with you. You've got to be able to trust God. To give you revelation, you've got to be able to trust God to speak to you. You've got to have a confidence in God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, what's he going to reward you with? He's going to reveal himself to you? He's going to give you a clear revelation on who he is to you? Unless you know who God really is, you're never going to out with the devil. When we have faith, we're saying that we know God will do what he's promised to do. But unless you get a glimpse of who he really is, how is your faith going to ever arise up in you? Praise God. He's going to reveal to you who you are in him. He's going to give you your identity. You've got to know your identity. You've got to know why he's made you. You've got to know what the hope of your calling is. Look at Ephesians 1.18. This is a very important element. You're going to move forward with confidence in the Lord. He's going to reveal to you who you are, what your calling is, how you can have a hope in the future. And the enemy loves to come against our hope. He tries to bring trauma and grief in our lives. They're diametrically opposed to hope. To try to cause you to lose insight. Or lose hope in God's identity for you. But you've got to have an identity. You've got to know who you are in Christ. You've got to know how to handle the seasons and the events in your life that bring feelings of trauma and grief. And during those times and seasons, you've got to remain intimate with the Lord. You've got to remain intimate with the Lord. So all these overwhelming feelings won't be able to overtake your spirit and your mind. 
because the enemy will try to use these as instruments to destroy your hope and your future. But if you know who you are in God, and you know his plan for your life, and you know what your calling is, you'll be able to stand. What else does God want to reveal to you? He wants to reveal to you who your enemy is and how he's working against us. We talked about that. But, you know, we've always been told not to pay attention to the devil. Now, I'm not talking about coming into agreement with him, okay? I'm not telling you to agree with your adversary. I'm telling you to recognize and understand who he is. Every time a a successful war strategy has ever been launched in history, it included a reconnaissance and an understanding of how the enemy thinks and what he's likely to do. Now, in this case, we need to allow the Lord to be our reconnaissance. We need to have the blood of Jesus and the word of God and the power of praise and God's wisdom and his strategy for our lives. We also need to learn about our enemy. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Now I'm going to close and wrap up with this. Listen, we need to rise up. We need to become intimate with God. The only way to do that is to spend time communing with him in prayer. Prayer is dialogue, and you need to dialogue with God. And you'll begin to overcome your enemy. Your enemy cannot overcome God. You've got to utilize different forms of prayer. And we'll get into that this week. Different forms of prayer we can use to outwit our enemy, to overcome, to become conquerors, to be the conquerors that God's called us. But the bottom line is we're going to have to be more intimate with God. It's time to recover our losses. It's time for Satan to let go of his grip. It's time for us to be strengthened. It's time for God's people to invade Satan's territory. It's time for God's people to advance God's kingdom on the earth. My prayer for you is that in the days ahead, you're going to become connected to God's spirit. You're going to be connected to God's wisdom and revelation. So that you'll have everything in your life that will outwit and checkmate the devil. That you'll find God's plan for your life and your family and the territory that God's called you to. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you that you've given us a plan and a strategy. I thank you that you've given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, I thank you, Father, that greater is he that's in us, the Holy Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ than he that's in the world. I thank you, Father God, that you said you've given us authority over all the plans of the enemy and nothing by any means will hurt us. Father, we ask, Lord God, that you would move among us, move in our midst, speak to us, speak through us, use us, and have your way, Father. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord, that you'd help us to overcome and defeat our enemy, that you'd help us to overcome Father, you told us to not be ignorant of the devil's devices. So, Father, we pray tonight, Lord. 
give us understanding. Give us understanding, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done on the cross. And we just give you praise and we give you glory. We give you honor. We just give you all the glory, Lord. And we thank you again for what you did on the cross as we go into this Good Friday. Over the next 24 hours, we just recognize your passion. We recognize what you did on the cross. We recognize that you shed your blood for us. We declare there's power in the blood of Jesus. And we just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I want to just bless you guys. Wendy, Dorothy Lee, Brother Reno, our brother from Grace Orphanage in India, Grandma 47, Patrick Gregg. Hey, thank you again for, for sticking with us tonight. Keep uh, Sean and Rebecca Holmberg in your prayers. Pray for their daughter, Michaela. Keep my wife, Tracy, and I in your prayers. Pray for us as we go into this transition. We're moving in about the next 45 days, and we're going through some transition in different areas. Just keep us in prayer. We're, we're praying for you. We're lifting you up in Jesus' name. We just ask God's blessings in your life. Hey, this is Prayer International Radio. Just want to thank you again. Have a wonderful night. And we'll be back same time, same place tomorrow. God bless you and good night.